This episode of Bobby and Jens is sponsored by Hammerhead Karoo 2. Jens, I know we just got these in and I'm starting to play around with it and I'm quite impressed. How are you liking? I do like them a lot actually. It is easy to use and you don't really have to read the manual to understand how it works. It all comes kind of like self-explaining. That's a big plus, a bonus for me. So yes, I do like it a lot. Well, we know that you're not the biggest fan of numbers, but I am. And I love the size of the screen. And my most favorite thing is the exclusive climber with predictive path technology feature. You know, you don't download every single route when you're out there riding, but with this technology, you can actually see the climb coming up and know how far it is to the top, know the, the gradient that you have to deal with. And, and I love that. So all my Strava data can go straight uploaded and I can share it with the entire world. Well, for a limited time, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of the Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code BobbyYens22, all uppercase, at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code BobbyYens22. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Caro 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use the promo code BobbyYens22 today. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, folks. The Tour de France is here, and we will soon find our schedules rearranged around watching the biggest bike race in the world for the next couple weeks. Today on Bobby and Jens, we sit down with Luca Gorcherena, general manager of the mighty Trek Segrafredo team, to get the inside scoop into what he expects of the tour and how it will go for his team. Well, this is kind of funny. I have known our guest today uh, or known of him for most of my career, but I think this is the first time we're going to ha actually have a, a real conversation. Luca Gucciarina, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Good morning, everybody. I really tried my Italian <laughs> accent there, but uh, yeah. failed miserably. <laughs> but um, yeah, Luca, it's it's great to have you on the show today. Um Obviously, we want to talk about the Tour de France, but I'm curious, what was your initial introduction into the sport? I know that you were working for the Mape Center. Uh, was it straight out of college or what, what was it that got you in, involved with cycling? Well, was, that was a particular story. So uh, I raced till I was 24, but in the meanwhile, I was studying at the college uh, sports science. And uh, as soon as I was graduated, it was just in coincidence with the last year of uh, U23. So I just found uh, a small junior team and uh, I started coaching them and being sport director too, you know, as normally you do with the, with the young kids. And my lucky moment was uh, the, the, the time in which one of these guys was selected for the national team uh, for the world championship in San Sebastian as junior. 
And at that time, the, the Italian Federation was being, uh, having an agreement with the uh, MAPEI Center. And once I drove this guy there, I started to talk with uh, Mr. Sassi, that was the uh, owner of the medical center. We start to talk, start to see what about the, the young generation, what we can do, what was the view for the future. And then I take off from there and I start to work with a group of young kids uh, that we all remember, Cancellara, Pozzato, Rogers and so on. And then uh, slowly I thought like to be the coach of most of these guys as well as sport director. And uh, till 2002, I was at MAPEI, then I moved to Quickstep till 2010. And then in 2011, I started to work with Yancy at uh, Leopard. And uh, in 2013, uh, again, was another key moment of my career. I was asked from, from track to see wh which were the opportunities for track to buy the uh, Leopard team that at that moment was called Radio Shack. And okay, then I start to make some steps more in the management. And then let's say after Olympics in Rio in 2016, then I just focus myself on managing the team. So long story. So you, you uh, officially certified a coach with a university diploma. Um, you yes, already, you did am. study sports science. That's not the same like coaching, isn't it? No, no, it's, it's different. You know, at that time in Italy, was really, you was graduated uh, in uh, coaching, exactly in coaching. Then obviously in Italy, you know, we are quite strict with the rules to become sport director and coach, let's say, is uh, one, uh, one title you have. And uh, there's also three, three courses about uh, sport director, first, second and third. And then you have the habilitation to the pro. Then, okay, there's also the UCI. On top, I have the patent for the track uh, coaching and so on. So uh, obviously, I, I had the possibility to race that I think that's the, what you really need as, as a first step because you understand a bit better the, the, what, what means uh, racing for real. Obviously, I was not such a big engine, so I, I just end up with the, with the elite category without being pro. But then obviously you build up on that, you know, the other, uh, you put the other bricks for, uh, to build up the wall. And then uh, as I said, I study coaching uh, and, uh, and, and then all the sport director courses at Federation and so on. And then slowly I, I arrived where I am now. What, what a great, great story. I, I kind of knew most of those pieces there, but um, yeah, you mentioned that under 23 uh, development team from MAPE. And you mentioned some of the, the the big names there. That was that was an impressive program. And knowing that you were there from the start of that, that's 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 awesome. That's awesome. And you know, gosh, what better way to be a general manager than to to have all that experience? Um, you know, being the data cruncher guy, being the the person that the that can talk to the riders, and then manage the riders. Man, complimenti, <laughs> complimenti. <laughs> Thank you. Well, hey, let's let's get to it. The Tour de France is here. Your team has been selected. Eight riders. Uh, Mads Peterson, Bokla Molema, Jasper Steuven, Julio Ciccone, Tom Squeens, Quinn Simmons, and Alex Kirsch. So average age, 25 years old. How, with so many riders on the team, how do you select this final Elite Eight? Well, you both know that it's very difficult to make the final selection because 
as usual, you have 10, um, 10 riders in the game, and then it's just a strategical view that make you select the, the final eight. And uh, it, it's, it's quite complicated, but as you, as you mentioned, you know, we have uh, Mats Pedersen, Jasper Stöden, let's say, as the main guys for the, for the sprint or, let's say, hilly stage. Uh, and then we have a couple of guys like Molema and Ciccone that can work for the, for the mountain stages. So we try then to find out the helper that have the better shape to, to help them uh, to be competitive uh, also in some stages, but for the most well, these guys to reach out the goals that essentially will be hunting stages for, uh, for the Tour de France 2022. Well, now with your background as a coach and now your team manager, are you still looking at the training data to select your team or you trust your coaches and your sport directors with the information they give you. Because I believe it's hard to drop the old habits, isn't it? So how much of a coach is still in you when you are still a director? Well, I, I would say this. As, as mentioned, till 2016, despite being already for four years the, the general manager of the team, I was still training and coaching Fabian Cancellara. So I was fresh in theory, methodology and so on. Slowly, obviously, I lost a bit the contact with the, with the coaching and I have to say that our performance group uh, head by Yosu Larazabal is, is, uh, is very, very good. Uh, so obviously, I delegate to them all the analysis and so on. But I have to admit that if coming down to the final choice, I would always go on the software and analyze the data and have my opinion on to, to check who is really better as a as a performance uh, numbers, let's say, uh, to be selected. And, and then obviously I can tell my opinion. And sometimes it's tough, you know, because as I said, uh, okay, I'm the manager, but then I obviously know some numbers. And uh, so the discussion get, uh, get to very good point, very strategical point. But uh, yeah, you know, that's my background. So uh, I love to use it when it's necessary. Yeah, that's always nice to have that in the pocket. That's for sure. Well, the, the United States has seven riders in the Tour de France this year, and the youngest one, Quinn Simmons, who I think rode himself into selection at the Tour de Suisse with some very, very strong performances. What are your expectations of, of young Quinn for, for the 2022 Tour de France? Well, we have quite high expectation. I truly believe uh, Quinn is one of the biggest talent I saw in the last, let's say, five, six years. And uh, obviously need to make experience because we all know the first Tour de France is very complicated for the most for the stress that is around the race more than the race itself. So I think you need first to adapt to it. I have no doubts that the three weeks, if nothing happened, is able to, 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 to keep it. And then clearly, as he has a winner mentality, he will find out a stage or two where he can go for, for himself or let's say go on breakaway supporting uh, Jasper and Mats and then try to, to see which opportunities uh, we show up. Um, and as you said, we, you made already an impressive race at Tirreno and uh, Strade Bianche and later on at Tour de Suisse. I mean, uh, when he has a goal in mind, he's really chasing it. So uh, we truly believe he's a, he's a right choice for this Tour de France. So looking back at uh, some years, we all have been in a business for some years. What do you think um, has changed the most in preparing a Grand Tour or a team? For example, if you take Tadej Pugacar, he didn't race much in the last month. He did a tiny little race back home. 
which of course you want because it's a smaller race. Some people say, now we need more race kilometers. We need altitude training. Was there any changes and is it to the better or you liked it better 20 years ago? Was it easier 20 years ago to get ready for the tour? Well, I agree. I agree. 20 years ago was uh, a way easier if you will. Essentially, you slowly build up the condition through races and that was more than enough. Uh, the riders know themselves uh, pretty good. Uh, I have to say that 20 years ago, probably everybody should be really ready uh, for, uh, for the, for the big uh, goals. But then the scale between helpers and leaders were pretty well defined and uh, the roles were even more clear. And I have to say that as an helper 20 years ago, even if you, 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 you was not at the real top at the start, you could have still built up something during the race as well as the leaders. Right now, everything's, everything changed. There's so much attention to the details that I think the curve and the difference between the big guys and the helpers is flattened a bit, uh, obviously concerning the specific skills for flat stages, mountain stages, whatever. Uh, so to arrive, you, you need to arrive already in a super shape at day one because you cannot lose any opportunity because otherwise you, 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 you pay the bill, uh, a pretty big bill if you make a mistake in the first week, for example. And um, also the helper, they are called to, to do a, a very complicated job now. Uh, so the, the, the preparation is not anymore, let's say, acceptable just through racing, but you need really to go on altitude, get rest, uh, make a clear tapering, come down uh, with the perfect condition, made, made a couple of races that drive you up to the top and be 100%, let's say, in the, in the first week, because in the analysis of the last Grand Tours, normally you have the first 15 days that are really the ones that make the difference uh, to make the, let's say, the, the, the main ranking. And then the last week is just, you know, keeping control on your position and try to build up one or two spots, but not more. So I truly believe that's, that's been the biggest change, and I think it will be tough to be back. Wow. You said something that I want to go back to about Quinn Simmons. You said that he was one of the biggest talents that you've seen in the last couple of years. I don't think there's a better person to ask this question to than yourself. But in your opinion, what ingredients does he have? You know, a lot of people talk about numbers, uh, tactical sense, mental strength. What are what are the the real ingredients that, that Quinn Simmons has that has, has caught your eye and you pay him with a, pay him back with a pretty huge compliment there. I believe that his best quality is the endurance because he's a guy that he loves so much biking that he has no problem to ride each day, six hours, you know? So the, since he was young, so as I, I don't see anyone right now in the young guys to really focus that much on just, uh, biking, you know, to ride the, the bike for hours. So I think quantity is probably the, 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 the best skill he has right now. Mental is very strong despite being young. So with, with the limit that you have when you are 20, uh, I still believe that maybe you need to improve a bit the intensity of training, but that's, that's will come, uh, you know, in the, in the, ne in the next, uh, years. Uh, but I believe, I believe that uh, on long races, uh, one-day races, uh, as well as classics and so on, 
he will be a guy that can uh, that can be part of the of the best riders in the world on top of everything obviously on gravel races is really what he likes so uh, we know that uh, there's more often those kind of races uh, strade bianche trobro leon uh, there's also the veneto gravel and so on so each year there's more and more pro gravel races so i think he will have uh, he will have opportunities for the future to show up all his skills so he might be then a rider for the third week of the tour when everybody else gets tired and he still with endurance maybe is less tired than the others i can't wait to see that agree agree i i i would say it was it's very similar of what you was you know yes i mean it's a, it's a big engine yes no scare to go on breakaway and and try to to give everything on breakaway and on the third week he will he still will have power you know he, he's a guy that really he built up the the endurance the whole winter so i think he's uh he's really good and he lives on altitude so he's also helping a lot that so agree he, he can have a very good third week if everything goes good and in those three weeks we have Sprinter stages, crosswinds, climbs, gravel, pave, the whole nine yards. But one thing that's not included again this year is the team time trial. What is your opinion about the inclusivity or exclusivity of the team time trial event in the Tour de France? I always love time trials, whatever individual or, uh, or team time trial. Uh, clearly, I think that Actually, the race organizers are not pushing too much on the TTT uh, to avoid the, to kill the race too early. Because if you have a very competitive uh, team on the time trial, essentially you can have huge advantage, even more than individual one. So I think that they they try to support more the climbers right now. Because uh, uh, I I have to say that for the fans, often the the TT races are not so. Uh, enthusiastic let's say uh, so the race organizers are just following what uh, is the fans request but we we men of sport i truly believe that we know how nice it is to prepare a team time trial and make it good and make the right selection for the people build up uh, the, the the right pace the right relay and so on so uh, i would be always in favor of uh, of a ttt uh, despite not having a great team for ttt but uh, it's something that if they ask me i would like to put it straight in the in the big uh, big tours i think yep we all agree on that we like it too it was great being <laughs> part of it it's also fantastic to watch it you know that how the entire team becomes one you know with each other and with the machines it's just beautiful to watch yeah yeah correct i i remember it was 211 when at the tour we were making a, a very good tt but we didn't end up winning and uh was it was always so good to make those kind of uh, effort to to prepare it you know i you know how much i love it i mean i was coaching yancy when he made the is our record <laughs> so <laughs> that's pretty fun and i love a lot the, the tt especially because working with cancellara was also easy to do that and uh, the olympic games in rio were something really great on tt matter yeah we we had fabian on uh the podcast and he kind of gave us the explanation of how you pulled him out of the the Tour de France and he didn't really think he had a chance and then 
through the training that you did with him, through showing him the power numbers, through giving him the confidence to go down there, he wound up ending his career with you know one of his best time trials of his career because it was a little bit unexpected. I don't think any of us really, besides yourself maybe, had him like in that in that podium kind of level. And then he just came out and, and torched everyone. That was that was great. But yeah, no, no, uh, no doubts about it. I'd love to see the the team time trial in there again. But we do have a pave stage. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about the added workload and stress that your team has to go through to prepare for that. Or is it just, hey, we do this in the spring. All we have to do is bring those same bikes in in July, and we'll be fine. Uh... Well, being a team with a good group of for the classics, uh, we are well prepared for those kind of stages. But clearly, you know, something is to have the classic season in which you you are based in one single hotel and you easy move up and down to the races with the with the equipment. While for a Grand Tour, you know, needing some bikes just for one stages is an extra logistic effort, and uh, and we all know that. The main problem there is to put the climbers on the right situation to race on the cobblestones. Lucky for us, let's say Molema is used to that, so it's not a big deal. But for sure, for guys like Ciccone, despite he's also able to, to be good in the gravel races, the cobblestones will be something new. And then you need to prepare clearly uh, all the equipment very well to make him comfortable and don't take too many risks and, uh, and just pass the stage without any, any issue. And um, do you think uh, the entire team will do the whole stage on a classics bike or they will change bikes? They will start or finish on a normal road bike with better aerodynamics or you go the entire stage on the same bike? And what tire pressure would you choose then? Or is it too much, uh, too I, specific, too early to well, ask that? Too, 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 too specific, I guess. Um, no, I, I think that the equipment we have are, is quite good to cover the wall race. But I have to say that obviously we thought about to switch the bike. Uh, concerning the pressure is, is exactly depending, depending if, you change, if you switch the bike or not. But we know that you can, cannot take the risk to have uh, too much high pressure on the cobblestones because then the risk to puncture is, uh, is very high. And as we point to those kind of stages, I truly believe that we will try to have everything set up for the cobbles, for the for the bikes. And then if the race goes as it has to be, so we, we are up there to, to make the, the stage win, then once there's the possibility, we are going to, to switch the bike. As usual, then will be a discussion with the rider the day before, because, you know, we need also to make a check on how the riders arrive at that stage. And that's very important to, to know. So it will be an ongoing discussion in the in the first week. And if you can, um, you know, we see a lot of the teams with different jerseys. Is there any new tech that you guys are rolling out? New bikes, new wheels, new anything that uh, you can tell our listeners about that we should look for? Uh, well, it's not completely new, but we launched the new Madone at the Dauphine. So there will be a new new bike essentially uh, with a new frame uh, very aerodynamic very light and so we will race the the tour de france with this new bike uh, we believe that is the best combination with the actual monda and the old madone so 
a very complex system of aerodynamics and, uh, and weight. And uh, we truly believe that will be a great advantage for our riders. Um, talking aerodynamics, um, you tell me if it's stupid or if I think just like you. Here is what I see. The first stage in Copenhagen, Mats Pedersen, he's going to be motivated over his head. He will be on the podium, maybe even going for the win. That's what I think. And the next day, I'm sure you're aware of how dramatic that day will be with the bridge and the wind. He is going to win the stage and take the yellow jersey in Denmark. Is that stupid or do you think the same? Well, that's the best scenario we want. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's clear. <laughs> that's clear. <laughs> will be tough in the prologue because we know Ghana, Bissiger and Van Aert are all riders super good for those kind of efforts. Mats is one of them. Uh, he worked a lot on having the right gear with the right cadence, something not easy for a, for a strong guy like him. But uh, the best scenario is obviously to take the yellow at least <laughs> on the second, let's say third stage. So that's our uh, dreaming scenario. But we know also that the pressure on, on Mats and as all the Danish riders will be very, very high. So. Uh, psychologically, it will be very important to keep him relaxed and just focus on the on the effort and not on uh, all the stress around the race. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from bellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole outside family, including yoga journal, backpacker, ski, outside magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But, If you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Luca. So we know the, the race st starts in Copenhagen with a 13-kilometer uh, time trial. Jens has already mentioned many times about the, the crazy bridge, the, the land bridge on, on stage two. You know, then we pop over to, to France and, you know, we got the Ehrenberg on stage five. Um, in, that, in that, like, middle part of the race to the end of the race, because we know it's going to be an absolute minefield that first week. But where do you think the race will be decided. There's always seems to be that one mountain stage where the GC is, is solidified. Do you think guys are going to come out popping right away on the first uphill mountain day up to um, Planche de Belfi? Or do you think that it's going to be a little bit later in the race, that, that real moment of, of decision-making? No, I, well, I believe that for the GC guys, the cobblestone stages will be just as usual to survive, but I don't see uh, them making huge attacks, despite Pogacar, because as we've seen him, even in uh, Strade Bianche, the guy is handling the bike very well, so he can't even think to make a selection over there. Otherwise, I truly believe that the Planche de Belfield is so hard that uh, that's a stage in which the, 
the riders will the GC riders will try immediately to make the the point where where uh, where they are standing uh, because this has been also like this in the in the last Grand Tour you know the first weekend they try really to go all in and destroy the the compet the other competitors and then slowly to keep maintaining the the position as, as I said before just try to move up one two places even for the jersey I mean but in the first weekend they really go they put the hammer down to make hard and heavy selection that's how I also how I see it that basically after stage seven Planche Belfi we can almost see the podium taking taking shape yeah um, talking results uh, Luca what's your goal for the team or for the individual riders Giulio Ciccone is he trying to be maybe just be podium or trying top five top six top ten everybody else for stages or what's what's the strategy for you guys Well, I think that after the Giro, in which Julio uh, arrived with uh, not a super condition due to, again, COVID and so on, um, the Tour de France, will, he will try also to go for stages. I think he can jump eventually in the top 10, if on the, let's say, second, third week, he will have, you know, possibility to go in a big breakaway that catch up minutes and minutes. Uh, for the others, Bauke obviously is hunting stages. That's, uh, that's very clear. While, uh, well... Mats, we said, the idea is just to try to have the yellow. That's not a secret. And with Jasper, finally, to win a stage because we have, uh, he, he was enough time second. So I think that's uh, that's uh, the goal for him. While for the others, as I said, Queenie will have also his own possibility. While experienced guy like Tony, like Alex Kirsch, uh, then those guys, they're just trying to 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 be there to help, uh, to help the others. So would be... The mountains jersey with Bauke Mollema going in a breakaway would that be a goal or you don't focus on on a jersey at all? We would make as we did, you know, in the past. Let, let's see the first week if you are able to catch up a couple of breakaways that give you the the right base for some points, and then you start to to have a look uh, which are the stages in which you can really make the the numbers. Uh, we tried a couple of years ago at the Vuelta and, uh, and Bauke missed it for a few points versus the Gen. In the past, we had it with Giulio Ciccone. This year, we try again <coughs> Sorry, at the Giro with, uh, with Giulio, but um, we were not really able to, to, to go deep in a couple of stages, so we, we lost the, the opportunity. Uh, but, but as usual, those kind of jersey, I think you cannot build it up from day one. You know, it's something you look at it, but uh, you need to, to make a check after the first week where really you stand, and then from that you take it. One interesting thing that is is maybe new into the mix this year is the Netflix uh, people filming a documentary series. Is your team going to be involved in that documentary series? And what sort of challenges do you think that that could uh, promote, if, if any? Well, we are not part of the of the movie. Uh, I think overall will be a great, uh, let's say, uh, advertising for uh, Tour de France itself and for cycling indirectly. Uh, but you know, without any sto clear storyboard, without any clear understanding which kind of shape the uh, producer would like to give. It's very complicated, you know, it's easy to make comparison with uh, Drive to Survive, 
but we know that the complexity of cycling is very is very different and uh, also you know riders are getting more used to have people around all day but sometimes it's giving extra stress and the tour de france can be a lot but i truly believe that overall will be a good project for uh, for cycling and for the future i think there could be more uh, series about that so uh, i'm looking positive about it i got a difficult question now for you luca in the past i noticed that you seem to change for the sprints between mats pedersen as a sprinter and the next day it would be Jasper Stuben, the sprinter. Are you going to keep that or you focus on one of them for the sprints? No, I think we will focus on Mats. We focus on Mats because we end up with a clear knowledge about Jasper's uh, capacity to win races in a solo breakaway or small reduced group uh, sprint. So I think that even Jasper himself, he, he knows that. And uh, if it's coming up to this point, Jasper knows that we don't care. It's better to try to attack than not just hoping to win the sprint. Uh, this happened a couple of times also this year. And uh, then it's frustration for, for him especially, more than for us. Uh, so I think that uh, Mats proved that he's clearly a better sprinter. When the sprint obviously is uh, not too much complicated, not too much explosive, but really a powerful sprint with a, with high speed. Then I think Mats is a, a very competitive. So I think that that will be the line we, we will keep. And in the world that we live in with uh, COVID just honestly just just lingering around, will your team like be in like a self-imposed sort of bubble again or is it a little bit more relaxed? Is I, I read that there's they've changed some of the, the COVID protocols that make it a little bit easier if uh, multiple riders test positive and not have to send the whole team home. But it sounds like a total pain for the riders, but it's almost a necessity for the team. Will you guys be in that fishbowl again and try to keep your distance from everyone? Yes, yes. Uh, since, uh, let's say, Dauphiné Tour de Suisse, we try again to get more strict with the bubble because we saw that the cases were rising and um, we believe we need to care a lot about this. I agree with UCI that if, if a rider is positive, then you cannot send on the team because that's, you know, if you have asymptomatic people and stuff like this is not correct. But I would say that, uh, that uh, as the numbers are going up again, then we need to really care you know it's, it's painful because you know how much we love to have people around you know even for pragmatical stuff i mean hospitality and stuff like this we live about that you know so we need to have sponsor at the bus and so on but if the risk is to have the team drop out from the tour then obviously we will try to uh to to, to take all the the measure necessary to to keep control on that with the hope that nothing happened something not easy because i truly believe that there will be some surprises uh, till Friday. You know? And so that means no family, or no friends, no parents coming on a rest day then? Yes, mm -hmm. correct. No one there. And uh, yeah, no, even no journalist, uh, no agents, no one can be close to the riders, uh, especially because if you try to be protective with a PCR test, antigen test each day, then doesn't make sense that uh, that you mess it up simply because you allowed someone to jumping in the bubble from nowhere. So it will be a bit painful, but that, that's how it is. The things were going really better in, in uh, March, April, May. I have to say at the Giro, we were quite relaxed. 
but obviously now we, we need to have a look again to to those uh, those kind of stuff. I have kind of an interesting question, at least I hope so, is you've been around the Tour de France for, for many, many years, and you've been in the car, you've you know been on the side of the road, you've been in the buses, but for a fan, sometimes we forget because we're in that inside that bubble. Um, what are some of the tricks for fans that want to watch the race, like maybe some things to avoid? I was always blown away when I'd get into a, a conversation with a, a soigneur and they would tell me how they got from like the feed zone to the finish and they would normally beat us. But like you try to do that in a non-stickered up car, um, it's trouble, right? There's always a roadblock. There's always a road closer, a detour or something like that. Are there any little tricks that you could maybe tell our, our uh, listeners that will be on the, fa- uh, on the side of the road in, in France this summer of some simple do's and don'ts or things to avoid? Oh, I would avoid for sure to make uh, too many cuts and be very driving too fast to, to reach the points for the fans. I mean, we know the Tour de France is pretty complicated, but that's I would like for sure to avoid it. But sometimes I think, you know, the fans just try to be all in the uh, iconic place, let's say, to, to see the riders coming and so on. But sometimes if you organize yourself and you have a, a clear look to the parkour, there's some spots that normally are uh, empty, let's say, where you can see the riders uh, more calmly and, and have a, a clear look to them. And uh, I think that's that's worth it, you know, that's worth it. Because it's nice to be in the crowd, but uh, when you have the right spot, then you can uh, you can see the riders uh, in, a, in, a, in a better way. So that's something for sure to do. Uh, then, I, when I was a kid, I loved to be at the feed zone, you know, but now there's new rules for the feed zone, but feed zone was always something for... For a rider to, for a young rider to to see because you collect gadgets essentially, and uh, I truly believe that if you have kids or so on, the best option is to be around the, the feed zone area, stay three step out from the road, just waiting for your bidon. But uh, then is a is a nice easy way to have a free gadget from the teams. So uh, Luca, when we started to talk, you told us that um, you just uh, have been diagnosed with uh, COVID, when do you hope you can, you, you're not going to Denmark now because you just uh, tested uh, for COVID. When do you hope you will go there and what will be your role when you get there, let's say for the second week, for example? Well, well, my plan is to be first at the Giro woman before to go back at the Tour de France anyway. So uh normally when i'm at the races i'm at disposal of sport director staff in general to uh to check if there's problem and find solution you know that's uh that's how it works and then clearly if there's a, an hospitality plan i need to be attentive of uh, what the needs of the sponsors are you know and make public relation for the most clearly denmark was a was a must but uh you cannot change the the things let's see you know if something change uh in the next days maybe i'm able to to join the team on saturday uh but essentially the job when i'm at the races is, is uh, more on public relation than not really dealing with the with the daily job at the race but as i said i'm always available you know if the riders need to talk to me or a sport director need to face uh some problems that we would like to interact we are i'm always available to to make this kind of uh, of calls and i said coming from the performance part of the of cycling i love to be in the race you know everybody knows me 
And so they know that when I'm sitting in the back of the bus waiting for the line, it's better to don't open the door because I'm quite passionate when I, I watch the final of the race. And uh, so it's, a, it's pretty fun, but uh, I love it, you know. So different roles, but uh, at the base is always the passion for cycling. And you said love and passion. And those are two words that I associate daily with the Tour de France. What, in your opinion, makes the Tour de France so special? Oh, uh, well, I think that the organization itself is clearly huge. So it makes everything looks very professional. And uh, the attention that you have from the media and the fact that it's on uh, French country holidays and you have a big and huge public around the, around the race, it makes the, the race itself very, very interesting and for someone that loves cycling and has passion of cycling being recognized that much is always you know amazing so that's that's i think is the real difference uh, from tour de france and other races even uh, i have to say that the attention also on the other grand tour is starting to get better and better so luca um the tour is just ahead and you probably have looked at all the stages What's your opinion about this too? Is it well balanced? Is it too hilly, too tricky, too dangerous, too complicated? Or is it just perfect? Or what's your opinion like about the general this year tour edition? I think uh, it's split in two essentially. I truly believe that the, let's say the first week will be quite for classic riders, let's say. Clearly for them, with big risk of the GC guys to lost something but then i think once we hit the alps the the except some let's say two three stages that will be a way hard for pure climbers you know and then uh, for classic riders will be just matter to save more energy possible and, and jump on the breakaway on the on the day that uh, that you have the possibility so i think is overall is balanced but it's really split uh, i would say almost one third to two thirds Uh, for classic and, and, and pure GC climbers riders. Yeah, you know, I don't go into the weeds like I used to with the actual race book and looking at every single turn and whatnot. But one thing that, that is obviously a hot topic right now is the non-selection of Mark Cavendish. Um, I don't fully understand that. I think both sides have, have a valid point. But really it seems like the only real kind of guaranteed like sprinter sprinter days, not like the classic sprinter days, but like the fast guys are kind of like bunched up there right at the end. So these guys got to get through three quarters of the race before there is like that guaranteed uh, sprint day. And I may be wrong, but I'm thinking like, you know, gosh, you could go to stage 15 already and, and not have like one of those, one of those sprint stages. But yeah, you have the right combination of, of sprinters there and really looking forward to seeing what, what Quinn can do in his, in his first Tour de France. And um, you also have another debutante in the, the team this year, not only Quinn Simmons, but Alex Kirsch. I don't know so much about Alex Kirsch uh, from Luxembourg. Tell us a little bit about his qualities and why he got selected for the team. Well, I tell you, the story is pretty nice. Uh, this guy was racing for Leopard Development Team when we were uh, Radio Shack Nissan in 2012. And the guy was studying maths at that moment at the college. And I have to say that I thought he was 
the less strong guy in the Devo team. But when I met him a few years later, the guy was turned like a, a huge, uh, tall, big guy, uh, very strong, very powerful, with a clear capacity to, to work for the, for the leaders uh, with absolute dedication. And so we, we hired him again and we start to work with him for this, this kind of, uh, of job. And, uh, and constantly we was making step forward, you know, and he gets really close to Matt, to Jasper for this classic group. And I have to say, a couple of years ago, we were just using him to pull the pellet on the first 100K. But slowly, his capacity developed so much that then he was the guy able to be in the very late uh, to work, you know. And, uh, and he built up so much that this year we put the Tour de France on his race calendar. And I think we make the, at today, we make the right, the right choice. Because if you see, let's say from Lassart over, all the races in which he was, he was always able to be there to pull the sprint or really drive the leaders in the final and still survive uh, the top 50, top 25 riders. So I think that this guy, he has a, 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 clear, uh, a, a clear line as a team player, a bit old style team player, I, I would say. So he's not really looking too much for his own opportunities, but he's really dedicated to leaders. So I think that's, uh, that's very nice for a guy like him to, to be selected. That's a good choice because you need somebody that also does the work, like a Tim DeClerc type of rider. You need him. Luca, before we slowly maybe come to an end, I have to ask you um, this. Last year, you uh, have been diagnosed with cancer. How, how is it going and how are you today? Well, today I'm good. I would say good. Uh, let's say the, the big part of the problem looks uh, to be gone. Still is a long process because it will take uh, another two years uh, before to say that I'm really okay. Um, I would say it's been a life experience. Um, I was not in any time talking to myself like I need to beat this, I need to kill it or stuff like this because essentially you're talking about your body. So I was more in the line to I have to deal with that. And uh, luckily, I, everything was discovered on time and I have a hard treatment, but were, uh, were useful and they, they work it. So let's say I have a, a good nine months of uh, psychological effort on top of physical effort. But uh, I'm here to, to tell the story. So I think uh, is, I feel already lucky about that because I was not sure. Uh, that I can make it and uh, I have to say that after such an experience you see the life in a bit different way so you wait a bit more the the problems and uh, and then you come out with a with a bigger strength I would say mentally at least I said still long so sometimes it's up and down but mentally you try to get strong and you try to enjoy life more than you can Wow. Um, I, I was going to ask uh, this question, and maybe now it is even a little bit more pertinent. pertinent. Um, I was going to ask, you know, from your experience as a young rider, as a sports scientist, as a coach, and now a general manager who's obviously talking to riders' agents and, and riders about, you know, the possibility of joining the team, what is that number one quality that you look for in a rider and has your recent diagnosis with cancer maybe maybe changed that 
Uh, well, when I, when I talk to a rider, essentially, I need to be sure that he fits to our uh, team and to our program. I mean, at track, we are clear lines on how the people has to be on top of being riders. So I think as a first, I check the human being uh, on top of the performance, clearly. But uh, e even if a rider is very strong, but we clearly understand is not fitting to our uh, mentality, is is immediately a no. So that's the, the first thing. <laughs> and then, as I said, uh, actually, I have not changed that much on how I analyze riders because essentially, you know, that's my job and I, I need to be professional. Uh, you cannot mix too much private life or what happened in your life with this. But uh, obviously, I, I would like that the riders understand that they need also to size the problems that they sometimes uh, present to the team, you know. Uh, in the past, I think Jens remember when I took off like a like a like a manager, I said, if you think that the, a wrinkle on a on a on a jersey sleeve is a problem, then guy, this is not your team. Problems are the real problems are way different than uh, than than that. So you need to perform, you need to focus. We are just a group of lucky person that are doing their passion as a job, and we are in a super nice environment, you know. So always start from this point. And when you start from this point, you analyze the problem that you face day by day, and then you need to size them and, and, and clearly say, okay, this is a real problem. This is a problem that I can go over easy. And uh, now, even more than before, I ask my riders to really think about that when they present uh, a request or a problem or, or just something that they would like to discuss. Luca, it was so good to catch up. You were my last boss as a professional cyclist, so it was so good to catch up. We probably gonna let you go now, back to your family, enjoy one of the last evenings at home. Be good, and hopefully I see you along the Tour de France one day. Thanks a million for being our <laughs> guest tonight. Thanks to you, thanks to you. Really appreciate it. Have a nice evening. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Luca for being our guest. Thanks everyone for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Valley News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. If you enjoyed this chat with Luca, why not check out our chats with fellow team bosses like Jonathan Waters and Ellen Piper. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.